Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. It's February 6th, 1928, and another remarkable event is about to be uncovered by Aria, Rebecca, and Ali, the Retrospectors. The mysterious woman known as Anastasia Tchaikovsky, who arrived in New York City on an ocean liner from Europe today in history in 1928 to advance her claim to the Romanov legacy, is often cited as the inspiration for the animated movie Anastasia, an assertion which would be more accurate if that cartoon was about an aggressive Polish mental patient who didn't speak Russian and absolutely was not Anastasia Romanov. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so before she disembarked, Anastasia actually held a press conference on the liner, which was called the Berengaria, explaining that she was in New York to have her jaw reset, she was claiming that it was broken by a Bolshevik soldier during her narrow escape from the execution of her entire family, the Romanovs, at Ekaterinburg in Russia. And Anastasia was actually welcomed to New York by Gleb Botkin, who was the son of the Romanov family doctor, who was actually executed along with his patients in 1918. And Botkin immediately called her Your Highness and claimed that she was without doubt the grand Duchess Anastasia, with whom he had played as a child. Except, as Rebecca has already told us, she wasn't. She was a Polish factory worker with mental health problems. But uh, let's explain who she was pretending to be or who she'd convinced people she was. uh, And that is the daughter of Tsar Nicholas II. So you have to actually go back really to 1917 and the revolution that erupted in Russia to understand this story. Nicholas was forced to abdicate. He had four daughters, Olga, Tatiana, Mariana and Anastasia. And whilst they were in Bolshevik captivity, Lenin decreed they should be murdered to remove any threat to the revolution. And in the early hours of the 17th of July 1918, the Romanov family and their doctor, as you mentioned, and their three servants were awoken and taken down to the basement on the pretext that the house was soon to be attacked, so this was for their security, and a group of guards who'd been given handguns entered the room and murdered everyone, the dogs, the children, the lot. The Bolsheviks murdered not only the imperial family, but also Nicholas's brother, Mikhail, and Alexandra's sister, Ella, and the princes and the grand dukes by throwing them down a well and leaving them to die. There's no reason to think they wouldn't have done this. But because we're in Russia and... Information was tightly controlled. Only the death of Nicholas was announced, which led a gap in the Russian public imagination. Maybe at least one of the daughters escaped. Yes, so two years later, police in Berlin took in a young woman who had attempted to jump from a bridge. She had no ID papers, she was unwilling or unable to give her name, she was foreign, she was obviously in distress, and they committed her ultimately to a mental asylum. And two years later there, a fellow patient became convinced that she was Tatiana. 
And on her release, she started spreading this claim around the community of Russian aristocrats who had sought refuge in Germany. Several then visited the asylum out of curiosity to see the alleged Tatiana. One of these was Baroness Sophie Buxhoveden, a former lady-in-waiting to the Tsarina Alexandra. She immediately dismissed the claim. And she said this woman, who went by the name Anna, was too short. After this, Anna said she'd never claimed to be Tatiana, which apparently was true. She just con- you know, conveyed an air of mystery and thus began the legend that she was Anastasia. Her story, which she then developed, was that she was shot and then bayoneted by her executioners, which explained the scar on her face, and also aligned with the account that had been given by the firing squad. But, crucially, she had regained consciousness to find herself in the back of a farm wagon, where she had supposedly secretly been rescued by one of the executioners, who then nursed her back to health, they even married, and then he was later killed fighting Bolsheviks. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, at the time of all of these claims, Europe really was filled with Russian exiles and a number of sympathetic Tsarists liked the idea that there was this woman who both could potentially be useful to them personally if they aligned themselves with her then maybe some of the fortune that she was due to inherit if she did turn out to be a Romanov would come their way but also politically there was unquestionably also this ongoing hope that maybe the Bolsheviks might stumble and collapse and there may be a Tsarist return. Well this is it isn't it you have these two parallel hopes in the face of contrary evidence the evidence that she was anastasia was it basically boiled down to when she spoke english she spoke it with a russian accent that's it (laughs) not that she spoke russian good enough for me she didn't speak (laughs) russian yes i mean there wasn't that much evidence on the surface it's true but despite this berlin officials not only released her from the asylum they actually issued her temporary id papers under her new alias of anastasia tchaikovsky and the claim didn't get off to the best start you know the, the first string of visitors who were personally acquainted with the duchess including her aunt her former tutor and her nursemaid all refused to endorse this claim if finally started to take off in 1926 when she was in a sanitarium in the Alps being treated for TB. There she was visited by Tatiana Melnik, who was the sister of Gleb Botkin, and their father had been the Romanov's personal physician. Melnik was the first big name to endorse her claim. She fully accepted that her physical mental trauma was the reason that she couldn't speak Russian anymore and why she only had hazy memories of her early life, which, to be fair, Melnik helpfully filled in with a lot of useful details. Uh, And it was around this time also that her brother, Gleb, who was living in the US, started drumming up interest in the case. He was a novelist and an illustrator, and he used his storytelling talent to get these stories in the press and really capture the public imagination. But it was also around this time that a private detective who had been hired by uh, the Tsarian Alexandra's brother, Ernest Louis the Grand Duke of Hesse, declared that he had uncovered her true identity. Yeah, so the investigator announced after this long inquiry that the woman in question was, in fact, Franziska Szankowska, who was a Polish-German factory worker from Pomerania, who had disappeared in 1920. And apparently Szankowska had a history of this mental instability that keeps sort of recurring throughout her life and had been injured in a factory explosion in 1916, which accounted for those scars on her body. And these findings were published in German newspapers, but they were still enough people and particularly once she arrived in New York, swirling around her, still wanting her so desperately to be the person that she claimed, that in spite of this uncovery by this private investigator, something of the uncertainty still lingered on. Which is just extraordinary when you consider the cast of characters that had done the debunking already. People who knew Anastasia when she was little. You know, Olga was Nicholas's sister. She came and met her. And she Mm. said, that's not her. (laughs) 
Right. But it's just the willingness of people to just love the story, and mm. particularly in America, where I guess they felt quite distant from the story, and this felt like an exotic European princess, you know, exactly the kind of story they love. It was just something that people clung to and kept running with. And I suppose for this woman, who obviously just wasn't very well, to have something in her life where people were paying her attention, paying her rent... She was willing to perpetuate the myth. But all of a sudden, as the 10th anniversary of the execution of the Tsar approached, it became a really important question as to whether she was telling the truth or not, because the Tsar's estate could finally be distributed. And so at this point, an attorney was hired on Anna's behalf to continue to make her case that she was part of this family and so entitled to her share of the fortune. And so the stage was now set for what became the longest running case in German legal history. 32 years! (laughs) Right. 32 years she kept this going through the courts. To get some money, which, by the way, as it turned out, Probably didn't exist. There was no Romanov money stashed in bank accounts across Europe for her to claim even if she had been Anastasia. You know, the mental state always tenuous started to decline further. In one episode in 1930, she killed her pet parakeet. Uh, Another one, she ran around New York rooftops in the nude. Uh, Ultimately, a New York court committed her to an asylum. They apparently had to break down the door with an axe to actually get hold of her. And in 1931, she was released and returned to Germany. Yeah, and during the war, Anna was supported by German aristocrats. And when the area that she was living in became part of the Russian occupation zone, a German prince helped her across the border to the French occupation zone. And there, Anna became a recluse and lived alone with 60 cats until finally in 1968, she left Germany and returned to the US. Yeah, courtesy of Gleb Botkin, he came to her rescue again. He brought her to Charlottesville, Virginia, where he lived, and even managed to arrange a green card marriage to his friend, uh, an eccentric history professor called Jack Manahan, which would enable her to remain in the country. Manahan was actually a perfect match. He was also a reclusive animal-hoarding delusionist. He called himself son-in-law to the Tsar. Uh, And then finally, in February 1984, she died of pneumonia in the US. And died, therefore, still with her supporters saying she was Anastasia, she herself still claiming to be, not knowing that there would be evidence that would prove that she wasn't. But there was evidence. And it came after she died. Because while she was alive, she'd had some surgery in the US. And by some miracle, they managed to keep like a slide of her bowel or something. They were able to compare that directly with the living relatives of the Romanovs. Specifically, Prince Philip, uh, who gave DNA so that they could test whether there was anything to the story. And it was shown that she had absolutely no connection at all to any Romanov DNA. In the intermittent period, there had been a boost to the myth as well, because the grave of uh, Nicholas and his children was found in the 1970s and exhumed after the collapse of communism in 1991, but two bodies couldn't be accounted for. And this perpetuated the myth for a while. That Ah, well, that's... Those are the two bodies. It must be Anastasia and Tatiana. And, you know, it must be that the story was right all along. But then... (laughs) So maybe she was both of them. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But then they did find the other two bodies a little later, and they did do DNA tests on those, and those two bodies were Romanov DNA. It's just astonishing, though, that she kept her story going for so long that even though at every point along the way people kept going, no, it probably almost certainly definitely is not her. Well, I think it's also the the fact that it's Russia. I mean, and so you still have a situation Mm. now in the 21st century where the Russian Orthodox Church still haven't confirmed the authenticity of the body. So there's still a question mark over it because of the way that information is handled there. Yeah. Yeah, forget about the DNA test. Come back to me when the Russian Orthodox Church is confirmed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Tomorrow 
he knew how to fall over and not hurt himself. But still, that doesn't prepare you for being hit from behind at 20 miles an hour, does it? Yeah. Ditch the ads and get a Sunday episode when you join Club Retrospectors. Patreon.com slash Retrospectors. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum.